Testing one, two, three. There we go. John chapter 20 this morning. John chapter 20. Reading uh, from verse 1. I'm going to be a little bit loud. Verse 1 to 16. Verses 1 to 16. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. I left me. I left my authorized version at home today. Here we go. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. As we're reading through this, brothers and sisters, really meditating upon these words this morning. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said, Mary, She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher or master. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to thy brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Let us go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, none of this would make any sense this morning if it wasn't for Christ and him rising from the dead. Lord, what gospel would we have to preach if you were still in the grave? Lord, we exalt you today. We worship you as the people of God. Lord, we simply come, we simply come, Lord, at the boldness that the scriptures tell us to come, we come 
to the throne of grace, not cowering, not frightened, but brave in the blood of Christ. Lord, we wholly exalt you this morning. And we ask, Lord, that the Spirit of God would come into this place today and remove any obstacle or hindrance that would keep us from hearing what you would have to say to us this morning. Lord, we're not here to take your place. We're not here to be seen and heard, Lord, but we're here to glorify your name. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would make your name known this morning amongst your people that you'd open our hearts and fill our minds with the glories of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. The verse we'll be focusing on this morning is verse 16, where Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Here we are confronted with a, a picture of Mary, one who had gone with her beloved Jesus to his grave. Remembering his solemn words the night before in Matthew 26, 31, Jesus spoke to his disciples saying, this night you will all fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. That night his words were fulfilled. There he was, our Lord, all alone, in prayer, in the garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says, in being in agony, he prayed, the Bible says, more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And he went a little further and fell on his face and praying, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Then this seemingly quiet night turned suddenly into a crime scene. A surprised, panic-stricken gang of confused, sleepy disciples scattering into the darkness to save their own lives as angry torches and shouts appeared from the darkness. But this tragic event reached its zenith that night with the monumental kiss of betrayal that marked the beginning of a series of events that would ultimately lead up to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Mary, the Bible says, the one who never left her master's side, was seen at the first glimpse of sunrise. There she was. When the land and graveyard were still shrouded in darkness. But we must ask, who exactly is this woman with such an indomitable spirit? One who apparently understood we can say this for sure, her master's call when Jesus tells his disciples that if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Her name was Mary Magdalene. Was she a disciple of Christ? Many asked that. One article that was titled, Who Was Mary Magdalene? writes this, Mary Magdalene witnessed most 
of the events of the surrounding crucifixion. She was present at the mock trial of Jesus. She heard Pontius Pilate pronounce the death sentence, and she saw Jesus beaten and humiliated by the crowd. She was one of the women who stood near Jesus during the crucifixion to try to comfort him. The earliest witness to the resurrection of Jesus, she was sent by Jesus to tell others, although this is the last mention of her in the Bible, she was probably among the women who gathered with the apostles to await the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. Mary was a Jewish woman from the fishing town of Magdala on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Her name is mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, more than most of the apostles. Mark and Luke recorded the healing of demons from Mary's life in their Gospel accounts. For a picture of what it must have been like, hear me now, for Mary to suffer through this in the first century, imagine the shame of being linked to physical and psychological illness as a cause of demon possession. You ever thought about that for just a moment and realize the shame that must have been involved today? Obviously, there seems to be so much shame revolving around the areas what of mental illness. No one wants to touch it with a 10-foot pole. No one knows how to address it, especially in the church. But back in these days, uh, at these times where it seemed that women uh, were frowned upon, could you imagine that this woman who seven demons had been cast out of her. This was a testimony, but could you imagine what would be linked with that as far as her life? Look at, there's Mary Magdalene, the one who had seven demons. Pretty tragic, but yet see, she, see, she seemed to be the most devoted. Luke 8, 2 accounts for this. It says, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And now we see her possessed, not with demons, but possessed with love for her Lord. On that dreadful journey to find her master's grave, Mary made her way through the dark and shadowy midst, single and alone. She made her way to the tomb of our Lord, only to find when she got there that he was not there. John 20.10 says, not only was he not there, the other two disciples took off and went back home. In John 6.66 and 67, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him, Jesus Christ, no more. To the point where Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? What were they afraid of? What were the disciples of Christ, the ones that have been with him since day one, in the very inception of his ministry, saw the great and mighty works of the Messiah right in front of them? And now they all split and they all run away. 
But the Bible says Mary stuck it out until the end. One author writes, it was dark and the soldiers were all about and there was no place. This was no place for a solitary woman. But we know that St. John says that there is no fear in love. Mary's love for her Lord could be defined by the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, where it says, Place me like a seal over your heart or like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death and its jealousy is as enduring as the grave. Oblivious to the danger around her, Mary took no notice of the possible danger around her. She took no notice of the darkness. And when confronted with two heavenly hosts, she took no notice of them as well. And in that moment when when it seems that all hope was lost and pain reaches its highest pitch, our exalted Savior speaks to the storm. Jesus saith unto Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. The title of this message this morning, I've titled it, Does Christ Know Your Name? Does Christ Know Your Name? Obviously, the Lord knows all things, which include each and everybody's name. Don't get me wrong. But the beauty of this passage declares the special redeeming love of Christ that he has for his people. That Christ knows you. Brother, sister, Christ knows you personally by name. Not as an enemy. Not someone he just wants to bring his rage against but someone he loves and recognizes as his very own. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, the Bible says, But now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. In John 10, 3, The Bible says to him that gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. But those of the redeemed know their Lord. For in John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. But then he goes on a little bit further and he says, and my sheep know me. This is the reality of what is happening here. We have to get the premise of what is going on in Mary's life. And to many people, even in the church world today, to be able to talk about a woman in a defining nature as a disciple of Christ can seem even very offensive today in much of our religious circles. And I think a lot of the times Jesus puts this in here just for that very sake. To show you that, listen, one of his most passionate disciples, one of his most loving disciples, one of his most devoted disciples was Mary, in whom seven demons were cast out. 
You see, sometimes it seems the most shameful are the most devoted. Isn't that true? Not the self-exalted, prideful, holier-than-thou, look-at-me, performance-driven, holy man. But he's dealing with a woman, a shameful woman, who puts all the apostles to shame with her love for Christ. Which I want to deal with this. I'm going to look at this in three specific areas of Mary's life embodied in the story that define what it, what it means to be a true believer and follower in Jesus Christ. Number one, I want to look at the Christ-seeking Mary, declaring that the one who is called by Christ will seek Christ. Number two, the Christ-hearing Mary, declaring that the one who hears Christ will follow Christ. And number three, the Christ-speaking Mary, declaring that the one who has truly encountered Christ will proclaim Christ. The Christ-seeking Mary. I mean, this seems to embody her whole ministry, that she was a, a driven woman to follow Christ all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave. Nothing would stop her, even going into the graveyard in the darkness of the morning by herself around soldiers. I mean, no place for a woman, but she didn't care. Jesus said, all who come out must, all those who are coming after me must deny themselves and die, take up the cross. She was dead to that life. Far as she was concerned, her only life was with Christ. Jesus was Mary's all-consuming passion. She was obsessed with her Lord in many ways that can cause us today to even question our own devotion to Christ. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Mary knew her Lord. Trust me, when her life was chucked full of demons, her deliverer was known. She was there, as the Bible says, when it was yet dark. Mary came to his tomb and noticed the stone was rolled away. Mary had been in very dark places before. See, this is why we have to understand some things, brothers and sisters. Many of us this morning know what it's like to live in dark places. For a period. Right? Mary understood what it was like to live in dark places. I mean, it's interesting that her, her biography is painted for all of us to see. All of her shortcomings, all of her problems, all of her issues, it's all there. But the reality is her raging love for Christ overpowers it all. And it's interesting because, yes, her shame is all here in Scripture, but the reality is that her love and her devotion and her passion and her consuming desire to be with her Lord was, was so great that it overshadowed her past. And many of us today have tasted those dark places. 
Charles Spurgeon asked the question, darkness, he says, can it fall upon a child of God? He is a child of light. Shall he walk in darkness? Not in the darkness, he says, in the sense of ignorance and sin and death, but in the sense of gloom and sorrow. Saints may have much of it. The air of heaven sometimes knows a midnight or two. But if he or she is with Jesus, following him as his leader, then he is in a safe condition. The words of one of our songs are ringing in my ears, he says, anywhere with Jesus, anywhere with Jesus. Better in the dark with Jesus than in the light, yes, than in heaven itself without him. Not all the harps above can make a heavenly palace if Christ his residence removes or but conceals his face. I appeal to you today, appeal to you today and, I, and encourage you that you would allow your moments of, of darkness to, to not cause you to retreat and hide and, and cower, but to use those moments to thrust you to the feet of Christ. Realize that your dark moments and those dark places are ordained of God for your own good and for his glory. Because when you have tasted those moments, right, when you've been there, then following Christ is not as challenging as those who are nursing off the goodies of the world. In John chapter 20, 2 and 3, it says, In her momentary despair, she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. And then in John 20, verse 8, it says, The other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as they yet did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. They weren't captured. They weren't illuminated. Obviously, they didn't quite understand this reality that Jesus Christ was going to rise from the dead. Otherwise, they wouldn't have retreated the way that they did. If they would have understand their Messiah, they would understand their God, they would have known and they would have trusted what the Word of God spoke of about Christ, that He most certainly was going to be crucified, that He was going to be buried, and three days later, He was going to rise from the dead. But they did not understand this. And if they didn't have a healthy understanding of the resurrection, then what else? Their following Christ ultimately was in vain. They had nothing. They were hopeless. They were meaningless. So what happens to an individual when they lose hope? What happens to us when we lose hope? We flee. We run to other places. We escape into other things. The greatest tragedy is for a believer when he feels that Christ no longer loves him or loves her. That somehow that they have been abandoned by God. 
that this idea, this reality of Christ's resurrection has never truly and fully hit home with the believer. I believe if we would meditate upon the resurrection and meditate upon Christ rising from the dead and that He's seated at the right hand of power, that He is ruling and reigning, I think our lives could be sustained in our darkness and in our failures and in our losses, knowing full well that Christ has risen from the dead. Therefore, the disciples went away. But the Bible says in verse 11, says, but Mary stood by the grave weeping. And as she wept, gazing into the tomb. You know, it really gives you an indication of her motives. You know, because this whole idea of Christ coming, I think everybody was, they felt duped. They felt deceived that this political leader was coming in to put an end to Roman dominion. And when they found out, even disciples, when they saw that this wasn't a reality, their dreams were shattered and they ran for the hills. But Mary wasn't in it for that. She wasn't following Christ to see what she could get out of Christ. But she was following Christ because she ultimately, she loved him and she was obsessed with him. And when everybody else took off, it says Mary stood. And there she stood by his grave weeping. And two angels that were sitting there said to her, and as they said to her, they said, woman, basically, why on earth are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And the worst part of all of this is not that they've just taken him away. It's I have this anxiety that I just don't know where they have laid him. I don't know where he is. It's a very shattering moment when someone is taken away, but then you don't know where they're taken. Matthew Henry writes, he said, he says that she stood there weeping and these tears loudly bespoke her affection to her master. Those that have lost Christ have cause to weep. She wept at the remembrance of his bitter sufferings, wept for his death and the loss which she and her friends and the country sustained by it, wept to think of returning home without him, wept because she did not know now how to find his body. Those that seek Christ must seek him sorrowing, must weep not for him, but for themselves. It is important to recognize the weeping of Mary was the sincere weeping of one whose tears flowed from truth. The Bible also recognizes two other individuals who also went away weeping after Christ was taken away. One was Judas, who weeped from great regrets, and Peter, who wept from his threefold denial. But Mary wept from a consuming burn in passion to see her God. George Morrison writes in his devotional, in seasons of overwhelming sorrow, when the golden bowl is broken, the noisy life out in the streets is like an insult. It is incredible how others should be laughing and going about their work with eager hearts, when for us, 
There is not a star within the sky and not a sound of music in the lute. There is nothing more absorbing than great grief. In in Mary's life, we see a, a very passionate, devoted disciple of Christ. But her life also paints a very vivid picture of great and remarkable grief. I mean, I just, I think sometimes we we, we read through these stories so quickly we don't really get the full impact of what's being proclaimed through God's word. This reality of, of, of what it must have been like for her in these moments of despair. I mean, it really shows the Christian, our lives, that we too need to be so intoxicated in our love for Christ that we should be so obsessed with knowing Him and loving Him that to stray from Him for one moment would bring us great grief. The Scriptures in most cases declare that God usually does the most work in the night seasons of our lives. In the famous writing by St. John of the Cross, he writes, On the dark night of the soul, the believer feels an absolute loss of God, a sense that the sun has been completely obliterated. Desolation and despair are the usual emotions. Yet no matter how long the emptiness continues, the soul clings to God. Isaiah says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who has called you by name. You know, you think of in death, you know, death is such a powerful moment in people's life. Sometimes it can be the transition moment to your own life. I know many of us have lost loved ones and people that are close to us. And sometimes they're shocking moments. Sometimes they're deathbed experience. But we all know the pain and the tragedy of losing somebody we love. We know the pain and, and, and oftentimes the, um, just the claustrophobic death fog that gets a hold of us during these moments. And, you know, death does strange things to people. It really does. You can sometimes trace a lot of people's struggles in life back to personal trauma where they have experienced great trauma and sometimes it's a death of a loved one, a death of a child or or something that had taken place with them and, and the pain is almost unbearable. And here we have this reality with with Mary who had been shown so much love from her Lord. You can only imagine the love of Christ, which is perfect. Imagine, imagine Jesus Christ in the flesh being with him at that very moment and him loving you perfectly, perfectly satisfying, loving you like that, being, being upheld by his power, upheld by his love, upheld by his spirit, knowing that you are his and knowing how gross You are, but yet your Messiah, your Lord, still looks at you and loves you 
perfectly and then losing him. Losing the one she loved the most. Torn from her. And not only torn from her, she couldn't find out where he was. Many people say that a part of them dies along with the one who has departed. They too feel as though a portion of themselves have been buried. Mary's life was shattered when they put Jesus into the grave. In many ways, Mary was buried with him. In Romans 6, 8, which is such a profound verse for the believer, says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, what we're celebrating today is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, brothers and sisters, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry says, when there is a true love to Christ, there will be a constant adherence to him and a resolution with purpose of heart to cleave to him. In Proverbs, the Bible says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. After her desperate appeal to the angels in search for her Lord, lamenting and discouraged, she turned back only to see Jesus standing and knew not that it was him. Jesus spoke, woman, why are you weeping? Obviously, as you see, he did not call her yet by her name. She, supposing him to be the gardener, for the third time asked, Where have you laid him, and I will take him away? And Jesus said to her these powerful words, Mary, her own name, in the voice of her Savior. She had heard it before, and now she recognized it again. Why did she recognize it? Because it's her Savior. It's coming from the voice of the one that she loved. It come from the one who has saved her soul from hell. It come from the one who had removed shame permanently and give her a brand new identity. Of course, she understood her master's voice when she, when he had spoken her name. Which brings us to our second point, the Christ hearing Mary, declaring that the one who hears Christ will follow Christ. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Mary heard her shepherd's voice, not only at this moment, which is remembrance, but through her life of total abandonment to her God. In John chapter 10, 27 through 28, it says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Not that they might follow me or they could follow me, but that they will follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. This is Mary's bio. This is every believer in Jesus Christ's bio. John 6, 44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 10, 4 says, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know 
his voice. Mary knew his voice. Not like the religious pretenders of the day where Christ himself really shows the difference between a hearing saint and a false pretender. In John 8, 43, Jesus says, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Mark 8, 18 says, Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Deuteronomy 29, 4 says, But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. Jeremiah 5, 21 says, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. In Ezekiel 12, God says, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. There is a differentiation of of who hear the voice of their Savior, who hear the voice of their shepherd. And the Bible says that they will follow their shepherd. They will recognize his voice. Not only do does our shepherd know us, but we as his people know him. But even our hearing as believers can get clouded at times. And how does our hearing get clouded? It gets clouded through unbelief. It gets clouded through sin. It gets clouded through shame. Severe shame always clouds us from our Savior. Pain can be a great deterrent either to drive us to the foot of the cross or drive us away from Jesus Christ. Even Peter and his, and his disciples at one point were ready to hang it up. In John 21, 3, it says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. In other words, I'm done. I'm going back to the old life. I'm going back to fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you also. They went out immediately, got into their boat, and that night they caught nothing. There's always a tendency in our lives to make a false attempt of trying to return to some kind of satisfactory element of our past lives in order to secure us temporarily, emotionally. And it never works. It always makes everything worse. We always think, well, you know what? I just, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. Not that Jesus Christ has given up on us, but because we have given up with a false view of our God. We have a false view of Christ. We think that we have been so rotten and so vile and so sinful and so shameful that how could God love us? But I do know what I'm good at. I'm just going to go back to what I'm good at. I know where I stand there. I know my identity. I know I'm good at this. I know I can find satisfaction over here. I know where I belong here. Because the way that I've been, I don't think I belong over here anymore. Which is all lies, by the way. For the Bible says in Romans 6, 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe, listen now, 
we will also live. Not die, we will also live with him. You are alive in Christ. You're alive in Christ. You are living and made alive through the power of Jesus Christ. You're not dead in your sin. You're not in slavery to your past anymore. You're alive in Christ. You live with Him. Why? Because we have died with Him. And we believe that we'll also live with Him. Which brings us to our last point. It's the Christ speaking, Mary. And this is a reality for all believers. I'm not saying you need to go out and jump on your soapbox on the street corner and be a street preacher. I think that's fantastic if you are. But the reality is that Christ has come upon you in the way in which the Bible says and has so radically transformed our lives and so changed us. We can't help but speak of Him. Mary showed this. She was devoted. She was in love with Christ. She followed him to the cross. She followed him to the grave. She saw him. She was with him. She was loved by him. She loved him. And when she saw that he had risen, she preached him. She preached him. She proclaimed him to the other disciples. When they're all sitting in their house, shivering and frightened and scared, she comes in and she says, Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus had told Mary, once he had risen, he said, don't cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father, but go. But go. He says to her, to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, but just wait a minute here before you lose it. And to your Father. To my God, but wait a minute. And to your God. Bringing them in. Going to my Father and your Father. To my God and to your God. Could you imagine the impact of those words upon her life? How could you not open your mouth for Christ? Verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples saying, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. In Mark 16, 10, it says the Bible says that the reaction was this, is that they mourn and they wept as well, but they did not believe. Even Christ himself appeared to them in another form, and they still did not believe. Heart-wrenching. Heart-wrenching. But truth, it gives you an understanding. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ turns the lights on, they're not coming on. I don't care how much you preach the doctrine of free will. If Jesus Christ, our sovereign God, doesn't turn the lights on, you're not going to turn them on yourself. Trust me. In the Gospel of Luke 24.11, it says that her words to them seem like idle tales, and they did not believe. Mark 16, 14 says, Jesus appeared once again and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe. 
Jesus asked them as they were walking together, their, their eyes, and the Bible says that their eyes were restrained. Another, another version says that their, their eyes were kept, check this out, from recognizing him. So they did not know him. They explained to him that there was a certain woman, heaven forbid that they would tell him her name, who arrived at the tomb early, astonished us with stories and the visions of angels who said Christ had indeed risen from the dead and that he was alive. Jesus said, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of the prophets and the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then in verse 31, it says, Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that point, he disappears. And it's interesting because once they finally get it and they understand that Jesus Christ did, I think we lost, rise from the dead, his final pronouncement to them, we've seen in Mark 16, 15, he says, go into all the world and preach like Mary did to all of you, by the way. The, the woman that you had not mentioned by name, I'm commanded you now to do the same. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mary represents the true life of a believer. She was a Christ-seeking disciple, which there's no other kind, I don't believe. And Jeremiah says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Are you a seeking disciple, brothers and sisters? Are you? You don't have to raise your hand or shout or anything like that, but ask yourself this question this morning. Do you seek him? Have you sought him? Have you been made alive? Are you born again? Have you been changed and transformed? Have you been given the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you a new creature where old things have passed away and all things are new? Or are you exactly like you've always been? Just a question. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and all of your soul. But doesn't the Bible say that our hearts are deceitfully wicked? Yeah, it does. But the scriptures say in Jeremiah 24, 7, I'll give them a new heart, a heart to know me. For I am the Lord and they will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with their whole hearts. An unconverted, unregenerated heart hates God, but a new heart can't but help follow Christ. A converted heart will follow Christ. It can't be stopped. It's a heart given to us by God. It's a regenerated heart. It's a regenerated life. The Bible says in Romans 10, for whosoever shall call 
upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved, brothers and sisters? Are you saved? Honestly, are you saved? Do you understand what it means to be saved? Do you understand the reality of sin? Do you understand the enormity of your sin before a holy and righteous God? Have you looked into the into God's law and saw yourself in truth? The Lord says, I am the Lord thy God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship idols. You shall not take my name in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. You shall honor your mother and father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. These are God's commands for us to show us as a mirror how bad we need him. Because in Galatians 3.24 says that the law is a schoolmaster, right? To lead us to Christ where we can be justified by faith. It shows us what a mess that we are and how bad we need Christ. The law doesn't save us. It just shows us that we need to be saved. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. You see yourself this morning and know you are not right with God or you do not belong to Christ. Then I would appeal to you today with much love. I'd be doing you a great disfavor just to sit up here and preach a pretty polished sermon and forget about your souls. Many today will sit and yawn in the face of Christ when his gospel is preached. But today we can no longer yawn. We must weep and our hearts must be broke for those who are perishing, even in the midst of our own family. Revelation 13.9, Jesus said, If any man have an ear, let him hear. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Which brings us to the very last points. 